Hey, this is Annie. Hey, hey, it's Samantha. And welcome to Stuff on Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. I feel like I have to switch it up. I, I do too. Yeah. I, sometimes I feel like I'm the robotic voice right. when you call and trying. you're just trying to speak to a real person. I am a real person. You are a real person. Um, I have those moments I'm like, oh, people are going to forget that I'm actually here with Annie, so I'm going to do a big introduction. <laughs> you should. It should get bigger and bigger. Eventually, it'll be a whole performance. Shtick. It's going to be a whole shtick. A whole shtick. A whole shtick. <laughs> Today, we are talking about beer. Beer. Yes, because it is, uh, I probably don't have to say it, it's one of my favorite times of year. It is. Fall, and specifically Halloween. And today is a beautiful Fall day. It is. I realized I needed a sweater, and at the one time it's finally happening. I don't have a sweater. Oh no! I know. I debated it for a long time, but I walked to work and I was like, "You'll get, you'll warm up. It's oh, not yeah. that cool right. yet, but it's getting there, which is good because I have all my haunted houses I have to do, and I don't like doing them when it's hot outside. This is a very specific threshold problem for me, um, and <laughs> I am trying to keep this relegated to a month ish. All of these episodes around fear and horror <laughs> movies and stuff, but difficult. Anyway, uh, trigger warning before we get into it. Brief mentions of rape and sexual assault. And I did want to start by saying, because um, we're talking about gender differences in fear and how we express it, what scares us, how we feel it, and how it can be weaponized. Um, when you get the question, like, do you have any, quote, silly fears, Samantha? Um, oh, yeah, I do have silly fears. You mm-hmm. already know a few of them, um, which include, I have a weird thing about polka dots. I can't stand them. Okay. Um, irregular shapes with dots and such. I don't know. Like, it makes my skin crawl when I look at it. That's a thing. It is, I, a, it thing. is a thing. I know someone else who has that. I feel validated, and I forgot what it's called, and I know a listener's going to let me know what it is, um, because I was so validated that I told my mother about it, because when I was in, like, fifth, sixth grade, mm-hmm. um, my grandmother had bought me this really cute outfit, but it had dots all over it, and I refused to wear it. I kept telling my mom about how much I hated it. Of course, I was made to wear it because... My grandmother bought it for me. Sure. I have to make everybody happy. Uh-huh. And in my little scrapbook, she remembered that little quote about the clothing I wore and put it above her, above me in these little, if you look at scrapbooks, you know, all the cutesy <laughs> yeah, things, sure. like that as a quote. And after I told my mom, it's a real thing. <laughs> I felt really validated. Uh-huh. I just want to say that. And then, of course, I, you know about the little statues or like wax figures type of thing. Yeah. And it can be anything if it's large. It scares the hell out of me because mm-hmm. I'm sure at any moment they're going to come to life and get me. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe because I watched like the House of Wax mm-hmm. in which they come to life and get them. <laughs> yeah. Just a reminder, like yeah. stuff like that. It, uh, nope, 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 nope. Which I totally, you told me that fear and then I immediately forgot and had you ride <laughs> Haunted Mansion. <laughs> And in that Harry Potter Eye the Forbidden Journey. You laughed for so hard for I so did. long. Even a month after the fact, I think you were still you were still laughing. <laughs> I feel bad, but it was so funny. <laughs> you were shouting at everything. I was. <laughs> Look, I get into the fight or flight, and I know I'm not fast enough, so I'm ready to fight. <laughs> you just, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. That <laughs> was a lot of that. It was funny. I feel like you have to have, the reason I ask this is because I feel like when someone asks you, what are you afraid of? Most of the time, what they're really asking is what is your fun and and socially acceptable answer that we can kind of laugh at or joke about? Because if you think about it, um, if you think about the real fears that probably a lot of us have, 
um, you don't necessarily want to share those or voice those in your everyday conversation. So I right. feel like there's the, the two levels. There's the ones that are kind of funny, even right. if they're not funny to you. But as long as it's not like level of phobia, if it's just this thing I have that isn't quite what we would say normal fear. Right. And then you have like your your real ones, the ones that keep you up at night that are dark and you don't want to talk about. Which is how a lot of horror movies start is they talk about a fear or something happens where that fear gets revealed and then that's usually how they die. <laughs> the look on her face is quite pained. I just want to say. I just don't understand why. Why do we do this to ourselves? We're actually going to be talking about that Yes. Sound. Um, and before we go into this, I did want to say it's always worth remembering equality not being the same because I feel like a lot of um, a lot of times when we talk about biological differences or sex differences, people sometimes use that to reinforce stereotypes that have been long used to keep a particular group down. So I that's something I have a real tension about. But set that at the top. Okay. <laughs> Definition time. According to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, fear is, quote, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. It is an evolutionary response to threats in order to protect ourselves from danger to keep us alive, basically. Which is great. See a lion? Yeah, or play, play dead. dead, whatever it is. I was thinking, I'm gonna play dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I've given so much thought about what I'm gonna do if I ever encounter a lion, but I have. Well, it must be evolution. <laughs> I think about that with like bears. Oh well, that and makes all of that more too. Sense. So I mean, it's not uncommon. So I would just apply that to all the things, you all know, the giant animals trying to get me. I have encountered a bear in the wild, and I just kind of kept running. And it was okay. Right. Um, I think I told about the uh, boar, that yeah. we, the wild hog that we heard in the woods, and we were like, run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, now you know <laughs> how you'll react. Um, again, I think we've, we've definitely brought this up before. We, now that we don't necessarily have to fear being eaten by tigers on a regular basis in the wild anymore, um, fear can be triggered in our modern lives by things called paper tigers, and this can be... You know, answering emails or meetings or things that you fear that really don't pose a danger, like a life or death situation. Phobias take the fear response, magnify it, and point it at something that generally presents no real danger. Over time, people with phobias begin to fear the fear associated with that phobia, and it exacerbates the whole situation gets worse and worse. Yeah, I guess my polka dot thing would be more of a phobia. Should I not wear polka dots when I'm around you? You're okay. I've gotten myself better that I don't focus on it. Okay. But, like, sometimes when I'm surprised by it, it just the surprise look. Surprise polka like, dots. Yeah, surprise polka dots. Surprise. <laughs> okay. Or there's that weird drink that has, like, chia seeds and such. And so you see, like, oh, the— Oh, sure. Like, so yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. No? Like, just thinking about it makes me kind of nauseous. So, okay. So that's it. But uh, people with anxiety disorders can experience something similar but less extreme, becoming afraid of the fear reaction that they may experience at social interactions and thus avoiding the social interaction altogether. And that's definitely something I deal with. I will avoid a situation if I think it will be uncomfortable or really anxious. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't have a way to plan like to know where I'm supposed to park, yeah. I know where to come in, mm-hmm. know what is expected of me, yeah. I'm probably going to say no. Right. And and I, I know you, I've asked you many times, so when you go to this, do you do this, this, and this? And that is part of my preparation because if I don't know 
and I've gotten much better about it. Mm. But when I was younger, I'd be like, nah, I'm good. I'll just stay at home because I would have a panic attack almost yeah. right before that situation. So to avoid it altogether, mm-hmm. I'm like, hell no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I have a lot of friends who who are like that, and I feel similar ways, but I'm also extremely um, competitive with myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be like, you're going. <laughs> and then other Annie's like, please don't. No. <laughs> I, I am perfectly sane individual just, who talks to myself quite know, a lot. That's actually really good. You're talking it out. Yeah. I'm embarrassed when people overhear it. Oh, me too. I did that at a public restroom oh, recently no. where I was talking to myself about the way I looked. I'm like, why did I do this to myself? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and someone walked in and I'm just like, hey. <laughs> it's very it's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. Especially depending on what you were talking about. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, and there are certain type of safe fears some people really dig, like horror movies, survival horror video games, haunted houses. I feel like I'm totally describing myself right, right. now. Horror movies make billions of dollars a year. There are 5,000 haunted houses that operate each year for the Halloween season in the U.S., so it's a big industry scaring people. Right, scaring themselves. I will say I really enjoy scaring other people. So I am that person that will, unless someone tells me, like you, I try not to do that to you because you're easily scared. Like I walk to you in a public space and you jump and I'm like, oh my God, I'm just just walking. Um, Horror movies. But it is really fun to kind of like get somebody every now and again, just see the reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, People do that to me. And initially I get like, what? And then I laugh as well. But Mm. haunted houses, no. I figured. No, 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 no. Because I'm, I'm like already no. scheduling all of my Yeah, I, I, I absolutely know. Because I think you talked to me about it before. I was like, no, yeah. I don't need people to touch me, chase me, look at me, come at me. I don't know. Thank you, though. That's fair. That's totally fair. And I but respect I love it and movies. I won't. Yes. But I love horror movies. Yeah. But that's also a distance from me. They're not coming necessarily at me. Right. Um, I find that I'm really good at, if I can't sleep the night after a horror movie... I just tell myself, if you hadn't watched that horror movie, you would have slept fine. Like, this is a concern you created for yourself. (laughs) And usually, that's it. That's all I needed. Um, Some psychologists and researchers suggest that um, this whole liking be scared or liking haunted houses and horror movies is an evolutionary advantage. The theory goes that for the same reason we like knowing gossip on those around us and are fascinated with people who have survived under extraordinary circumstances, we like things like haunted houses or horror movies because we're like a a part of of our brain thinks we're learning from others how to survive and get ahead. Um, Like if I was in this situation with this ghost don't do what that person did because she didn't survive. That's true. Things like that. Fear can also trigger the same chemical reactions as happiness does or excitement does in our brains. So being afraid under certain conditions can be fun for some people. The so-called adrenaline junkies, for example. And I, I would call myself an adrenaline junkie light or maybe medium. <laughs> I don't know. I do like skydiving and bungee jumping, but I'm not doing the... More extreme, right? Or you're not trying to climb. Walls. I'm also extremely clumsy. Oh, I yes. think I've just had to accept. Some things are not, not for you. you. <laughs> yeah, me too. So some research indicates that fear may be related to the body's physical response to something. Like a fear of heights might have something to do with the dizziness of it all. Yeah. Um, or other fears are related to past trauma and perhaps even generational trauma. Yeah. Which I've definitely seen that as a thing. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot more science and research into that lately. Fear 
makes us do all kinds of things on a national level, like countrywise, restrict our borders, for instance, or enact policies that are unnecessary and perhaps detrimental. We've talked about this before, about how we're known to make policies based on perceived fears, based on the type of media we consume and the representations that we see in that media. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. This is one of the reasons that diverse portrayals in our media really matters. Right. Chapman University recently conducted a survey on what exactly scares Americans. And what they found were things like walking home alone at night, being involved in a mass shooting, identity theft, and internet safety, or lack thereof, and the classic public speaking. And for me, oh my goodness, yes. So one of the things that you and I are having to do, what we're having to do, is get in panels, talk to people. Mm -hmm. And I can do the one-on-one thing perfectly well. Yeah. Um, When I get in front of someone, I kind of block it out, and I forget what's happened. So essentially, I black out on stage. Like, I have no idea what the hell I just said. I really hope it was cohesive, though. I've done that before, too. I've only done it once. But after I had to give this presentation in college, an hour and a half long presentation in French on heart replacement Mm -hmm. and medical stuff. And I afterwards, people were asking me questions about it, and I said, I, I literally can't remember anything that's happened. Right. <laughs> and then on top of that, I, today I, I just had to do a training about uh, security of, of your software, internet yeah. security stuff, mm-hmm. and, and we talked about ransomware and all malware, yeah. and I was like, oh, oh, yeah. oh. And so now I'm super scared. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I've actually watched a lot of horror movies recently that have to do with cybersecurity, and you, you might think, how in the world can that be a horror movie. It can be. I found them very disturbing. Yeah. Um, and uh, the mass shooting thing um, is something I've definitely experienced where anytime I go to a big event or even just a movie right. theater, I think about it. You start looking at exits? The exits, and I sit really low on my seat, right. um, which is really, really sad. Unfortunate. If we break down those fears that that survey by political party, people who identified as Democrats were more likely to report fears around man-made disasters, pollution, and personal safety. Republicans, on the other hand, were more likely to give answers like immigrants, government, and, quote, today's youths. <laughs> um, hello, <laughs> those liberals. <laughs> I guess I'm not really a youth of today, I mean, but still. I was told I was ruining the country, so... You know, there's that. (laughs) Congrats. I don't really know. Um, The survey also found a correlation between people who watch true crime and the number of fears that they held. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, I love true crime things, though, like Gainland and Snap, but I think I go a bit deeper with trying to dissect whether the individuals are being represented fairly. Oh. So I'm a weirdo. So I come from like that social uh, social work, social sure. justice perspective mm-hmm. in that way of like, no wonder they're here, or this is why, and this kind of makes sense. Not that anybody deserves to die. Not that anybody should be in a gang. Uh-huh. I'm just saying the aftermath of what happens. You're like, oh. Mm-hmm. And also, were they truly represented? Yeah. I'm, I'm an odd one on that one. So <laughs> it's more so of like, how can I fix them? Right. Less than fear. Interesting. I think that says a lot about you, Samantha. (laughs) A lot of fears have to do more with a lack of control. Like, you're far more likely to die in a car crash. But a car is a known thing in theory. Like, you know how to operate one. You see them all the time. Um, And that is in your control. As opposed to an airplane where you get on it and sort of surrender 
right. to the pilot, and you don't really know how it works. Right. There's nothing you can do about it. Fear consists of two responses, the biochemical and the emotional. The biochemical reaction to something that induces fear are things like increased heart rate and sweating, high adrenaline levels, blacking out perhaps, <laughs> um, fight or flight. Everyone experiences pretty much the same biochemical responses, but the emotional response is a personal one, like adrenaline junkies or people who avoid horror movies at all right. cost. Um, and there are some interesting gender differences. So in the late 1980s, researchers at Columbia University conducted a study looking into gender differences when it comes to fear. They gave the participants a writing prompt, a scary story about death. What they found was that in general, men wrote a story about their own death while women wrote about the death of a loved one, a spouse, a child, or a family member. Mm-hmm. And a 1996 study found that of the 704 participants, women were almost twice as likely as men to meet the criteria for a phobia and almost four times as likely to meet the criteria for multiple phobias. Women were also twice as likely to have situational phobias like darkness and flying. Women are also more likely to develop anxiety disorders, and that's something that we've talked about before. Right. And there has been a lot of research into why that is, and we're going to talk about some of that research. But first, we're going to stop for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Until a more modern history, being fearful and dependent was a part of feminine charm. It was a byproduct of women being kept in the dark when it came to the workings of society, of not being able to own anything, of being classified as property of men. And that came with the feeling of powerlessness, a state of constant worry that was acceptable and even expected of women. Right. So boys are conditioned not to show fear, while girls are not. Women are conditioned to be more fearful than men. Recent research has found that men are better at concealing fear than women, and that they might be feeling in less of a cerebral way than women. Mm-hmm. And I personally remember getting so frustrated hearing the different expectations on my brothers compared to me, or just the constant question of, is that safe? Shouldn't you take a man with you? Because of things like this, it makes sense to me that women in general hold more fears and anxieties. We are reminded of our vulnerability due to our gender every day. We have to think about our safety in ways men don't. It's always in the back of our minds. We see it in the news, and we hear it from our friends and family. Every woman has a story of something terrible happening to themselves or a woman that they know. Right. They even had a little hashtag for people to share stories of what it's like to run alone, women, what it's like to run alone or why they fear running alone or running at night, Mm -hmm. all of those different things. And unfortunately, that is something that we are ingrained with, as well as the fact that the incidents that have happened, once again, show us that we're not protected. Right. That's what it feels like anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. There is, of course, the famous quote, and this is paraphrasing, men are afraid, women will laugh at them, women are afraid of being raped and killed. When asked what they are afraid of, women are more likely to have specifics. Men are more likely to say something like, looking stupid. If asked how someone protects ourselves or oneself, women have specifics, men aren't sure what you mean. And this is generalizations from an informal study conducted by the PBS documentarians behind No Safe Place. One study found that women reported higher resting fear levels than men, even when physiological signs were not present. 
Another study found that we as a society tend to over-report anxiety in women. Given the same level of emotional response between male and female participants, the female participants were more likely to rate themselves as more emotional. Outsiders rate them as more emotional as well. Again, is same response. <laughs> um, this calls back to our episode on women not being believed when they report symptoms of a heart attack, instead being told, you know, you're stressed, calm down. Right. When confronted with something that triggers a fear response, both men and women have similar reactions. Increased heart rate, breathing, muscle tension, and blood pressure. In other words, yes, that, that biochemical response we were talking about earlier, the fight-or-flight response. However, according to researchers out of UCLA, Women have additional unique response called tend and befriend. I was going to say, didn't they also add freeze, fight, fright, fight, flight, and freeze as a part of the responses now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Which is, could be the tend and befriend. <laughs> oh, God, what do I do? If I'm nice to you, are we going to be okay? <laughs> yeah, basically tend and befriend is a need to protect um, the woman herself and any children she may have. Oxytocin and reproductive hormones play a role in it. Um, it makes women more likely to seek out others to help them. Men have a more marked fight-or-flight response. And this brings us to the media because we did want to come back and talk about the role the media plays in all of this because mm-hmm. fear portrayals and fear-mongering, they have major consequences. Right. Let's talk about the news mm. um, because exaggerating the dangers we face in the news is something that psychologists have looked a lot into and warned against. This is frequently called if it bleeds, it leads. So your more violent stories, if you paint them particularly grisly, uh, people are more likely to tune in. Again, got, kind of going back to that thing we said earlier where your brain is like, if this happens to me, right. I can survive or how? what should I avoid to not survive? First, the news by nature is news. It's, it's something that happened. And generally, bad news and good news happen um, and are reported on very differently. Um, one example I've seen is, like, good news is on a longer time frame. So if life expectancy is going up, you might not see that until enough research has been done or until enough time has passed, whereas bad news is generally something has happened and it is bad. Right. Um, Thanks to something psychologists call the availability heuristic, people estimate how often something happens based on how readily we think we can think of something similar. So if we see more bad news than good news, we'll think more bad things happen as opposed to good things. Things like airplane crashes and shark attacks make the news when compared to more boring, in quotes, deaths. <laughs> so we think they happen more than they do and we fear them more than Perhaps we should. Right. And according to data, news in general has gotten more negative since the 1990s all over the world. For people who consume a lot of news, this warps their worldview. The most well-known example is an increased fear of crime, even though crime rates have steadily been dropping. Yeah. And I know this sounds like we're coming out against the news. We're not. I'm somebody who I consume a lot of news. But I do think there's value in being, you know, taking a step back. Right. I won't watch the news. I yeah, it's it's rough. The one thing I like to do is go through some types of headlines to yeah. pick and choose, so mm-hmm. I can read it. Yeah, and then go on with it. Um, I but I know several people who just have Fox yeah. News on mm-hmm. repeat, and and my mother actually specifically said I have to stop watching Fox News. Wow. She said that to me at one point when we got into a really big argument, and I was like, huh. 
So, you know, they, it is an acknowledgement in what you hear and just being consumed by that completely makes a whole different perspective happen or your world being very tainted by that perspective. Yeah. Not tainted or at least influenced. Influenced, yeah. I, I read a piece recently on um, the rise of uh, comedians kind of being where people get the news because it's an easier way to digest it. It's a less painful way right. um, in the rise of like satirical news shows. Some journalists proposed that this whole increasing negativity of the news in part has led to President Trump, not the, the usual subjects as you're probably thinking, but the, the more relentless blanket of cynicism that makes people watching the news feel that incremental systemic change is impossible. Like if everything's bad, blow up the system, right. essentially. Trump weaponizes fear all the time. In his inauguration speech, he repeated false claims about crime rates right. and actually used the phrase American carnage. Mm -hmm. Studies and surveys have found that this is incredibly effective. Very effective. And I remember he would use specific examples of um, someone who may be trying to get a legal status mm -hmm. and would talk about any of the criminal records yeah. and specifically highlight that and then play that repeatedly saying, this is what's coming into our country. Yeah. He even called them all rapists and drug dealers, if I remember correctly. Um, so absolutely, and it works. I have, I've had that excuse parroted back to me yeah. as to why immigration is so important. Um, but fear can also be used to persuade us to give up certain rights or privacy, yeah. which is what I learned today as I was doing my little training that I was telling you about, yeah. that one of the things that they do is tell you you're about to be arrested for something mm -hmm. or you're going to get negative for something, you better contact us immediately or you will be dinged. And mm -hmm. it's essentially ransom, ransomware? Ransomware, yeah. Ransomware or malware. And I'm like, oh. Mm -hmm. I've never clicked on those because I don't pay attention. <laughs> In the earliest days of the internet, I got a ransomware that turned out to be really hilarious. Oh, really? Because it didn't work. <laughs> um, but I got a message uh, on my MSN, <laughs> uh, and it was like, you have 24 hours to get me all of this stuff, or I'm going to delete everything from your computer, and I just forgot about it. <laughs> That's even better. Happened. <laughs> That's even better. You just forgot. I totally forgot. Um, hopefully that didn't have consequences that I'm you unaware of You seem to be to okay. <laughs> you seem to be doing okay. So. Me mentioning it is going to trigger something <laughs> on the old desktop. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of going off of that of fear being used to, to get us to give up certain rights. September 11th, after September 11th, 2001, fear fed in part by the news media led to increased racism and profiling of Muslim Americans. The overrepresentation of black men as criminals, and particularly violent criminals in our news, um, and the more intimidating language used around those crimes as opposed to similar crimes committed by white men contributes to a society that racializes crime, what people think a criminal, quote, looks like. As we've seen, this can be life or death when it comes to police shootings of black people. And obviously the issue is bigger than that and involves a lot of other pieces, but this is a part of it. Exactly. And I know there was a lot of conversation about the pictures that are posted yeah. um, of victims versus uh, black victims versus white victims yeah. or black perpetrators versus white perpetrators and, and in the way that makes them look as we know that it, it definitely puts a specific stereotype Mm -hmm. and an assumption of why they died or how they died, which is unfortunate in itself. 
Yeah. So from 1995 to 2004, one study found that 66% of the low amount of time allotted to the Latinx folks involved stories of crimes or immigration. Yeah, so we're not talking about them often in the news, um, issues around Latinx folks, but when we are (laughs) 66% of the time, it's crime or immigration. One study from 2012 found that after being exposed to as little as one minute of negative news about the Latinx community, Participants were much more likely to rate members of that community as stupid, even given a general positive outlook on the community before watching the news clip. Right. Wow. This, again, can lead to real-life policies that are fear-based, ineffective, and damaging, like zero tolerance at the border. Right. And then black offenders are 3.9 times likelier to receive a death penalty when compared to the offenders of other races who committed similar crimes. And in courtrooms, black defendants receive an average of 19.1% longer sentence than white defendants who committed a comparable crime. Some researchers believe that a piece of this is the racialized fear-mongering in our news media. And even just an example of um, what happened recently was the young uh, black man who went to jail for missing jury duty for 10 10 days. Yeah. And then we have Felicia Hoffman, a very wealthy white woman, went to jail, what, 12 days for bribing and doing illegal things to get her child into a privileged college. It's just kind of like, what? You You have one that is obviously doing something illegal to her advantage and one who did not understand and missed something. Mm hmm And therefore, what? Yeah. Yeah. Negative stereotypes of the mentally ill in our news and pop culture have also had negative outcomes on our view and treatment of mental illness. Um, Probably return to that in a future episode Uh because that's a big topic, too. Absolutely. Um, Several academic papers have been written about how the news media has historically helped conditioned women to be more fearful by capitalizing off of detailed stories about violence against women. The stories chosen are often that of a young, often white woman, being raped by a stranger, leading to a misconception that this is how most rapes happen. And for many reasons, that's dangerous. We touched on that in our trauma series. Right, and our um, friend Justin also touched on that as why that can be seriously dangerous. Yeah, and and it impacts people in courtrooms because they think that's exactly. not what a rape looks like. Right. Samantha, our lawyer friend, was talking that that was the biggest problem that she faced mm-hmm. was it wasn't bad enough yeah. to be believed. Oof. Uh, I read a whole history of rape reporting for this, and it was fascinating. Very sad, mm-hmm. but fascinating. Prior to the 1970s, only three cases of rape were reported around women's anger uh, in magazines, mm. and they were viewed as unusual, in quotes, cases. Two of them dealt with Italian women who refused to marry their rapist and, quote, redeem their honor, even though the rapist of one of these women was, quote, so charming. Oh, oh well, the rapist was charming. <laughs> okay, oh, then. Geez. Well, starting in the 1970s, articles began to focus more on questions around the rapist's motivations and the mother's faults, yeah. whether or not the rapist and victim's name should be used, what she was wearing, those type of things. And how it's a societal problem. Yeah. Famous sensationalized cases of rape have led to other rape victims asking their lawyers to withdraw their case, uh, fearful of similar attention. I've also read reports on how we've become more okay talking about sexual assault when it comes to women, men taking away women's sexual agency, but we still can't talk about women having sex for pleasure. That's uh, so many other things we could (laughs) do episodes on in this episode. 
Women are definitely generally portrayed as more fearful in our media. This is a more culturally acceptable and expected response from women and girls, like we were talking about earlier. I can personally think of so many trailers uh, that have some shots, many shots of women screaming or cowering. Don't they specifically seek out women who can scream Scream the best? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. We also frequently see a dismissal of women's fears as silly. In horror movies, male characters are more likely to confront the monster head-on, while women are more likely to run and only fight when forced. Now, there has been some opinions that that shows the how masculinity won't save you in the end, because <laughs> those men usually die. Immediately, yes. But still, you're seeing male characters in a much stronger kind of, like, I'm going to go face this problem, and female characters kind of running away. And um, there has been uh, an essay that uh, we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, the writer of that essay compared, like, the remakes, the 70s version and the remakes. And you generally the, the remakes have made the running away into more of a problem-solving, like, it, it's kind of a stronger thing than just fleeing, screaming. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yes. Female characters do spend more time screaming and cowering as compared to male characters. It's not just me that thought that. I don't scream. I get scared. Yeah. I get silent. Yeah. I'm kind of the same. I might shout in surprise. The, oh, hell no. Yeah. That's my screaming. <laughs> but like at, in actual fear, I very rarely scream. And in fact, I have, um, as an actor, I have trouble screaming because mm. it feels so like, I don't know, I get like disingenuous about, yeah, or yeah. something. It, yeah. To me, it's not a real response because I'm going to be a freezing person that just sits there and stares at you like, mm-hmm. oh. What just yeah. happened? Yeah, so from Chad Brewer's 2005 paper, which you were mentioning, mm-hmm. the stereotypic portrayal of women in slasher films, then versus now. Yep. In a study of horror films and female stereotype behavior, Zillman and Weaver from 1996 established that girls and female adolescents in horror films who are witnessed displaying fearfulness and protective need in the face of terror on the screen are more favorably evaluated by male and female peers and non-peers than their counterparts who are witnessed displaying no distress. Is that me? <laughs> the no distress. This display of fear is merely one example of feminine stereotype in that viewers expect the females will remain afraid and helpless. No. No. Fear um, has long been used as a marketing tactic uh, to convince people, especially women, I would argue, uh, to buy stuff that they don't need. So sort of this whole thing of fostering fear in women and then saying, right. you should buy this. You should buy the pink. Uh, pepper spray. The pink pepper spray, which someone has given me as a gift. Atsy. <laughs> it's so cute. Wait, mm. didn't you have that in your movie? Yes. Yes. That yeah, was based on a real thing okay. happening. Some studies have found that people make decisions on birth based on what they've learned from the media, which rarely depicts a normal, healthy birth. It's something that our society has made very mysterious that we've hidden from view and less highly dramatized for our entertainment. Increasingly, that is changing with folks going online for more information, which comes with its own set of risks. I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with those. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot going on with fear. Fear is a very complex thing to talk about, and uh, the impacts it have are also very complex. But we do have a little bit more for you and some, some little tips on fear management. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So fear management. If you're looking to let go of some fears, experts recommend therapy. Yes. <laughs> if that's an option for you or otherwise finding coping mechanisms, perhaps if you find your fear is based on things you're seeing in the news, step away or find a different way to get that news. Gradual exposure is something else that's recommended. This is how I got over my fear of aliens and extraterrestrials. Um, this can be re-traumatizing, though, if not handled carefully and while cognizant of your mental health and learning to recognize emotions and where they're coming from. Like, if you can pinpoint, why am I so distressed right now? What is it? Right. That's really helpful, and that's a tool that you have to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some places recommend under supervision doing the, like, exposure, massive exposure right away. I personally have my doubts about that, but hey, if you've got a professional that you trust, do your research. Okay. <laughs> That's a whole Criminal Minds episode, by the way. Is it? Yeah, where the therapist does exposure therapy, but like a lot. Kills like them. really fast. Oh, no. Yeah, through that affair. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Be careful. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, to me, it, gradual is key. Maybe first start, like, just by talking about it and then go from looking at a picture or representation to playing with something related to it, things like that. And so on. Always be critical of the media. I think that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And the news you consume, as we all already talked about, how it can be very biased. Make sure you start thinking about and reasoning out what this means and what it may be saying to you. Yeah, or, or just if you find something is making you afraid, ask why. Why? <laughs> and why? What is the agenda here? What's the <laughs> message I'm what, getting yes. from this? Um, I, for one, have notes that say "Be brave" all around my apartment and my desk as a reminder, and they actually do help uh, for some weird. I don't know why. I look at them and I'm like, "Mm-hmm." Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I have to take long, deep breaths mm-hmm. for me sometimes when I'm in a really bad situation and that fear comes up or the yeah. anxiety comes up due to that fear. Yeah, for I sure. mean, and that's a good one. If you know what your physical responses are right. to fear, find ways to physically combat, combat those responses. Right. Fear is powerful and political and useful. It influences our lives on a global and national and personal way. Uh, knowing more about it and how people use it to manipulate us and how it frames the way people view us is really, really useful. Yeah. Because while haunted houses and horror movies can be really fun yep. for some, <laughs> <laughs> yes. racism and sexism are not. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I would hope that would be obvious. I would hope so. <laughs> but worth repeating. Ugh. Worth repeating. So I feel like there's, I have so much more we, we could talk about. I mean, honestly, we could just take down and decipher through some of these things and do that individual small sentence as a bigger episode, obviously. We could. And if those, if anything that we've touched on this episode really resonates with you listeners, write it in and let us know because right. we take your suggestions seriously. Yes. Um, and speaking of, we did want to read some listener mail slash shout outs. Yes. Valerie wrote, I'd like to suggest Flash Forward. This is a um, when we ask for podcast suggestions. Um, in each episode, the podcaster, Rose Eveleth, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, imagines a scenario from the future where some particular thing has happened, such as, for example, if all the honeybees were gone. Actors act out the scenario, and then Rose does an in-depth look at the science behind it. Highly recommended. Oh, that sounds so fun. That sounds awesome. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. 
Maggie wrote, I was catching up on Sminty today and wanted to thank you both for the fantastic episode on women in podcasting. Oh, thank you. I have a movie podcast with my best friend. It's a hobby for us, definitely not a career. And it was so refreshing to hear two talented, kick-ass women in the industry open up about their experience and insecurities with it. I definitely related to hating the sound of your own voice. I edit all of our podcasts, so I've gotten used to it. But I still often catch myself editing out my ums and likes because of the fear that I'll sound too young or stupid or just not confident enough in my opinions and analysis. For the longest time, I was very shy about even telling people I had a podcast because I knew how critical people could be, especially of female voices. And I didn't feel like it was a real podcast since our listenership is fairly small and we record sitting on the floor of my closet because I will trade dignity for good acoustics any day. <laughs> it didn't help that a friend of a friend once asked me what I, what I thought gave me the right to have a podcast when it came up in casual conversation. What? I've gotten over that. Partially from support of my close friends and family and partially thanks to great female podcasting role models such as yourself. Oh, it's called, I I, I emailed her back and asked her what the podcast was. Of course, because we need to know. Yes, and it's called The Best Pictures Podcast. And we're watching and reviewing every Academy Award Best Picture. The episodes on It Happened One Night and An American in Paris are probably my favorite. So, yeah, my friend is watching the AFI list of top 100 movies. I think Mm -hmm. they may be done now, but I know that was something. So that's super cool because people want to know, what is this? Because I'm not going to watch every single one of those movies. I have a friend who did that, and she's actually been on the show before. Hello, Katie. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I think I've seen maybe half. But, yeah, go check out that podcast. And then we have another one. Jamie wrote, I just listened to your podcast about lady clowns, and it immediately had me thinking about my calling. I'm one of the Capital City Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence in Sacramento, California. The mother house in San Francisco started in the 70s and has spread all over the world, even in Atlanta. We are a 501c3 that raises money, educates the public, and does amazing things for our local LGBTQA plus communities. Most of us wear white face paint and colorful makeup, often resembling clowns or really pale drag queens. We also wear cornets and veils like the nuns we pattern ourselves after. We do the works of nuns in our communities leading lives of service, but like the clowns in your episode, we spread joy and eliminate stigmatic guilt. Some of us refer to ourselves as sacred clowns. Some of us call ourselves drag nuns. We almost all have sister names. Mine is Havakiki, since I'm Jewish. (laughs) Most of the other sisters are cisgender gay men. Women, non-binary, and trans sisters exist, but we are a minority and can often suffer the judgment other women in typically male-dominated groups experience. It's much like what the clowns you spoke to and of, and much like what other pioneering women in our past have experienced. I, myself, am a podcaster, Orange Lounge Radio, at vognetwork.com, 17 years running. Oh, cool. So those are, li- our that. listeners are doing cool stuff. Some really cool stuff. And yeah. from our Instagram accounts, Leora Walk 2 said, in regards to our updated episode, Whenever I have to deal slash watch things that are emotionally hard, I get my favorite treat to go with it, so I have something to look forward to and enjoy during it. Which is actually really good advice. Okay. So I need someone to bring me alcohol and popcorn at all times (laughs) for all the sad things, please. Got Um, it. But in a healthy manner. Yes. Um, And we did get a DM. Yeah, someone slid into our DMs. Right. Which I didn't know was a thing until you told me. Which I had to teach you. Right. Nah, this is is not the same context. Okay, good. From hands in the air emoji. I like that. Hi, Annie and Samantha. This is a couple of podcasts late, but I'm wanting to write y'all about the herbal sleep remedy I've been using that quite literally puts me to sleep in under 10 to 15 minutes. Have you ever tried kava kava root? No. I did. uh, No. (laughs) I'll usually mix a teaspoon or a half teaspoon in with the evening tea or just a ginger lemon honey for you, Annie, (laughs) since you said you don't drink tea. Yeah. Um, And usually never finish the cup because the effects are so quick. 
So worth a try. Available at herbalist shops and some health food stores. So hope this helps. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, we'll look into that one. I think it consumes, like I said in that episode, trying to sleep consumes so much of my life. Another day I was reminded of when I first moved into my old apartment, not my the one I'm currently in, I was filming a movie that was about uh, my, my character was confined to a hospital bed and she was being tortured by ghosts. And Ooh. I couldn't sleep in a bed for a long time Ooh. because... I was all day in bed being tortured by ghosts. So my bed was just a mattress. I didn't even bother to put sheets on it for like oh, two months. Wow. Well, I get sad and I didn't sleep in my bed for a little while, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> I laugh at your sadness. <laughs> it's okay, me too. If you have a podcast recommendation or advice on how to sleep better, yes. we would love to hear it. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Thank you. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a protection of iHeartRadio's House Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 